This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And uh, let's see. April snow. Two years in a row. Oh no. I'll try not to dwell on this too much. You remember last week? Last week's show, I should say. I don't know what you remember of your last week. But of last week's show, you listened to that? Uh, I talked about uh, one of those signs of spring in at least our little corner of the neighborhood, almost literally my, our corner of the neighborhood, uh, where a couple of ducks show up each spring. Well, I talked about that. And I also talked about how sometimes it snows in April. Hey, I think that's a Prince song, isn't it? Anyway, well, sometimes it snows in April. Last, uh, last year, 2018, we thought we were past everything, uh, and we got hit with a big snowstorm, and I mentioned that last week. Well, I record these shows on, on Friday nights, and uh, so I did did my recording. I posted it online on Saturday, which was in the chat room on Sunday, or not Sunday, on Saturday night uh, for you know to chat with people and listen to the playback of the show. And then uh, Sunday afternoon, the temperatures were in the 60s. It was nice, and I thought, okay, I can take the shovel out of the back seat of the car, Put it back into the garage, and I did that. By Sunday evening, I think it was. There were it must somebody alerted me to it on Facebook or saw it somewhere that there was snow coming later in the week. Looked for information, and sure enough, there was. Uh, Monday, uh, that the t- high temperature got damn near 70 degrees. It was hard to believe there was snow coming. The grass was all exposed. I mean, except for the piles of snow in the parking lots from being plowed over out of the way so cars can park, aside from those, pretty much all the snow was gone. Trees were beginning to bud. It was, you know, we're ready. It's 70 degrees on Monday or damn near. And you're telling me Wednesday it's going to start snowing? That's what it did, and we got a fair amount uh, in the Twin Cities. West of us, there's uh, it's quite a bit west of us, but it's still within Minnesota, uh, there's a town called Marshall, and I saw predictions out there of them getting about 23 inches of snow. Now, I don't know what they ended up with. Uh, we in the Twin Cities ended up with about 8 inches of snow, and it's a different kind of snow. It's not that light, fluffy stuff that we were getting in February when we were getting all that snow last month or two months ago. Um, it's the heavy stuff, the wet, heavy 
snow. And this stuff, it's we got eight, eight inches worth of snow, but it packed itself down by the time you're out shoveling it. So it was about four inches on the ground. Uh, some places a little more, some a little less, obviously. But it just, it was heavy. Wet, heavy, crappy stuff. So Thursday morning, I shoveled a path on the sidewalk around it because I was just not, I I was not in any kind of mind to do a full shoveling, and it would have it would have taken a long time. It took an hour to do what I did. And then I went over to my dad's and I shoveled off the front yeah, the front walkways and I got around, I was heading out to do the back and my dad met me at the back door and said, ah, come on in, forget it. <laughs> so I went in and had a donut and talked with my dad for a while. Uh, it's so, it's just, ugh, it's like a gut punch. You know, you're ready for spring, you're ready for to start warming up and be able to get out and do some yard work and take care of the exterior of your house or whatever you got to do, and bam, you get back in winter. Well, the thing is, it's all going to be gone by next Thursday, by the end of next week. It'll all be gone because the temperatures are going to get in the 50s. It'll all melt away, and it'll just be a horrible, horrible memory. <laughs> uh, we also got a lot of wind, and, I mean, high gusts of wind up to 40 miles an hour in the Twin Cities or higher uh, out west of us. The western part of the state of Minnesota, west and southern part of Minnesota, is prone to the high wind kind of stuff because there's not a lot of trees out there. Uh, east and north in Minnesota, uh, we get a lot more trees. And so that helps to sort of buffer or break the winds that come through to keep it from getting too too gusty but you can still get some pretty high ones uh, so western Minnesota got blizzard warnings they had wind gusts up over 50 miles an hour they had lots of snow it was ugh, gosh, to live out there uh, they must not have been very happy with what was going on especially again their spring was just as nice as ours was uh, until another snowstorm comes through and because of all this wind, and this is kind of neat, actually, uh, the snow has a sort of a tannish color to it, a beige color to the snow. And people are asking why, and the meteorologist told us why. Well, uh, the wind that came whipping through came up from the south of our country, uh, West Texas. A lot of wind come flying up through West, Te West Texas, up through... Oklahoma and all that up to Minnesota, and it was blowing up, uh, you know, sand and such up into the atmosphere. And uh, as the stuff developed into precipitation, uh, into snow, and that it would grab onto some of these part, you know, these particles of sand and dirt and whatever that got blown up into the air, and brought it back down to the ground. So our snow has a bit of a tan color to it. It was, it's, it's very interesting, you know how. We're connected to the states lower than us through weather. It's, you know, that that was a visual connection. You know, stuff comes through other states, obviously, but we don't usually see uh, a different color of snow because of sand and dirt and grit coming from another state. But we did this time. And I talked about trees. Um, I can remember uh, in the mid-1970s, there was a, a, a terrible thing happening to our Dutch elm trees. It's called Dutch elm disease. 
Now, I don't know exactly, I don't know much about how the disease came about and what was going on, but it was, it was threatening elm, you know, Dutch elm trees throughout the world uh, because uh, there's a, a sitcom that uh, originated from Great Britain uh, that's called The Good Life. At least it was called that over there in Britain land. But here in America it was called Good Neighbors when we showed it on PBS. And this, it, it was a series that was come from the mid-70s. And they make a reference in there to Dutch elm disease. And I remember it being a big deal when I was a kid. And uh, Dutch elm trees had to be removed to help to help stop the spread of this disease so that the healthy elms that remained might survive. And a lot of trees went away. And uh, now, my, now my dad said, and I don't know, I couldn't track this down, but it, you know, trees then, of course, were planted in order to take up for, you know, make up for the lost uh, elm trees. And my dad was saying that they were ash trees that got, that got planted. And uh, now, <laughs> from the early 2000s, we've had something happening to our ash trees. We have this little bug, a little beetle, called the, ash, the emerald ash borer. And uh, that little pest uh, made its way here from, from China, first showed up in Detroit, in 2002, was first discovered there. Figured it just came in on some cargo, some with wood or something that came from China. Uh, this because the beetle originates in Asia, and 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 China is part of Asia, and uh, so it got here, and it loves the ash trees. So what it does now, as an adult, the beetle isn't so bad for the trees. It'll eat the leaves and that, but it's not as quite as bad. But the larval state of this of this insect uh, this beetle uh, it, uh, it it it's it's within the bark uh, inside bark of the, the of the trees and it cause it starts to burrow through there and eats its stuff away in the, in the trees and it interferes with the trees being able to move water and nutrients around and uh, younger ash trees would dry would die quicker but older ash trees would eventually you know they take a little more time but they'd eventually die and that started happening and, and it was an echoes of the dutch elm disease thing was uh started reverberating around north america uh, especially like central to east and it's not so much out west but central to to eastern uh, you know, north america this this was happening and uh uh it's it uh I've found out that in the United States alone, uh, the ash trees are very uh, numerous. There's a lot of ash trees, and very important to the ecological system of the United States and, and to its and how it looks and how it feels and all that. You know, this the aesthetic it has this importance. So when you grow up around trees, it's you 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 feel weird in an area without trees. Uh, and I found out that within the United States alone, there are seven to nine billion ash trees. Uh, and in Michigan, since the since the introduction of the emerald ash borer, uh, Michigan has lost more than forty million ash trees and other states have lost bunches of them and i bring this up 
because uh, over the last couple few weeks, I've been noticing on uh, some of the blocks around our neighborhood, uh, a little closer, I live about a mile south of my parents. So uh, that end of the neighborhood, on the side streets around my parents, I've been noticing more of these trees with the green. What what's what I'm seeing is a uh, spray painted around the tree a green stripe that goes around a bunch of trees. And it's uh, you drive down a block, and on either side of the block, along the boulevard, along the corner or the the curb, you know, right there, uh, on either side there are there are you know like a like a dozen trees on on either side of the block or more, and all of them have this green ring painted around them. And I've been noticing, and I thought, oh, are they going to be taking these trees out? Is that going to be happening? Is that what that means? And yes, yes, that's that's what it means. And they started taking the trees out in this neighborhood um, earlier this week. I drove by my parents' place Tuesday night. And... Um, I stopped by. They weren't there, but I drove along this block that used to have these trees down on either side of the street, and they were gone. And that looks weird. I mean, as far, going back as far as I can remember, there were trees along those along those boulevards, and they're gone. And you just you just see open air and houses. You don't. It's, it's there's a there's a couple elm trees around. There's some maple trees around, but there's these ash trees are being taken out, and I'm seeing. And so as the day as the week was progressing, they had they couldn't do any tree removal on. Uh, I think it was Thursday because the wind got too high, you know, too much wind, or was it Wednesday? One of the days this week, but um, there's a block. Uh, two blocks to the east of where my parents, uh, their block. And that is one of the streets that has the the canopy, you know, the, where the trees on either side of the block, of the street, they're, they're, the branches reach out to each other and they, they meet at the, you know, above the street. And it creates almost a, a full canopy over the, uh, and it's, and that street Every tree except for two that are along the boulevard are marked to be removed. Only and the only and the two that are still there, I'm not sure what kind of trees those are. They're really big, massive trees. They might be old elms. Uh, I, I'm not sure what they are, but they're just big, massive trees. But there's only two, and they're right next to each other. The rest of the block along the boulevard, there are trees closer to the houses. And those are, I suppose, responsible. You know, the people who own the houses, they're more responsible for those. But along the boulevard, I guess the city's responsible for those, I guess. And uh, they're all going to go away. So that street is going to become completely open. There's going to be no canopy of trees. It's going to, it's just, it's, it's going to look strange. It's going to be, it's going to be stark and weird. Um, so the other day, uh, I drove down that block to see if they had taken out any trees. And this was after all the wind took place. It must have been, uh, yes, uh, Thursday after work. And I was driving down that street, and they hadn't gotten to the trees yet. Uh, but I thought that, as I was looking down the block as I was heading down to my car, 
uh, I saw what looked like a bunch of debris in the street, which there was. I thought, well, maybe they got some trees down at the farther end of the block. And what I, what, what I saw was, uh, when I got there, I said, no, they hadn't taken any trees, but one pine tree. One of the very, we got some in this neighborhood. We have some very tall, very uh, narrow pine trees that just shoot straight up. And, and uh, there's one that pine tree like that that was further away from the boulevard, you know, closer to the house, uh, set back. It had been blown over, and it was hanging in. It got caught into one of the trees, one of the ash trees that's going to be removed. And you could see that the roots are coming up out of the ground. And I drove by, and I looked at that, and I said, oh, now I wonder what's going to happen there. It hasn't been dealt with yet, but I'm sure that you, I wonder if the, 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 the these crews that are coming out taking out these trees, if they're going to also do that one. Well, as long as we're taking out these, we'll you know give the homeowner a break, or maybe we'll present them with a bill, or or we'll just cut it, cut what we need to cut out of it, and just leave it sitting there. And so it's on the homeowner. I don't know how they're going to handle it, but uh, anyway, it looks very strange. And there are other streets that I'm looking at that I'm seeing. These trees are going to go away. And uh, my dad said, you know, looking on the bright side of things, he said, well, uh, the people living along those blocks won't have as much raking to do next fall, which is true. I'm sure the city will come along and, and put in some different trees. Uh, we'll plant some different trees to bring them back. Because uh, in Minnesota, I was listening to an old radio report, an NPR radio report um, from 1974. And they were talking about Dutch elm disease and there was a fellow that worked for the city or for the state or something being interviewed and he was talking about the aesthetics of Minnesota without trees I mean it's just it just he said it just wouldn't feel like Minnesota well again if you're out in the western southern you know the southwestern side of part of the state uh, trees are not you know, not as plentiful there, but Twin Cities, you know, up through Duluth and up into the northern part, there's lots of trees, and it's going to seem. It, it, he was talking about in 1974 how strange it would be and how aesthetically wrong it would be. It wasn't exactly the words he used, but he talked about you can take away the lakes and it, and and would we'd still feel like Minnesota, but you take away the trees. I don't know if I agree with the taking away the lakes and still feel like Minnesota, but that was the point he was making. Uh, which reminded me of um, it's all relative. The a friend of mine from uh, high school, uh, when he got married way back when, he uh, he went to school out in in Colorado, and he met a young woman out there, also going to college, and uh, and they hit it off, and they ended up getting married, and now they've since divorced. But you know, for the longest, they were married for quite a few years. Um, I, she was uh, originally from Sheridan, Wyoming, which is uh, near some mountains at the at the foot of of some mountains out there. I don't know what the mountain range is out, but out there, and it's uh, it's very prairie like uh, until it gets to the mountains, of course. And um, there aren't many trees. And she grew up out there, and that's what she was accustomed to. That's what she saw every day was not many trees and didn't didn't realize what she was missing when uh when she, when they got married and then they moved to minnesota she was telling me about how claustrophobic she felt when first 
living here in Minnesota because of all the trees. I'm just not used to that. And it's it was a different perspective. I hadn't even considered. Really. I don't even... I mean, the trees are there. I don't really even notice them except when they're gone. <laughs> and it looks like an awful lot of them are going to be gone. Uh, well... That's what happens when invasive species get into areas that, um, you know, that they can cause some problems. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm going to take my break. I shall be back shortly. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Remember, there's no hugging in the chat room. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Warmer weather in Minnesota means deer ticks are now feeding in a wooded area near you. Fight the bite. To avoid Lyme and other diseases from deer ticks, use tick repellent. This message from the Minnesota Department of Health. I am living on Channel Z. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I have uh, an update on one of the uh, three cool things I talked about back in March. Uh, March 2nd of 2019, this year, on my show. Uh, I One of my cool things was a podcast called One Plus One. And... Uh, it's still a cool thing, the podcast. It's still out there. What it is about, essentially, is it, ex- it examines the uh, the greatness that a collaboration can produce, as a uh, that 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 is better than what the individuals might have been able to do on their own. And it's uh, you know it's two people teams, two people collaborations that they're that they're looking at and. Uh, they're doing. I think they're. They work out to be six-part series. Series is is, uh, and like the the current. Let's see, they just finished up a series on Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant and how they're teaming up with each other on with the Lakers in basketball. 
how that propelled them to greater achievements than they would have maybe done on their own. Uh, they had a rivalry. It's, it's, it's a very well-done podcast. It's terrific. The host is great. Rico Galliano, I think his name is. Uh, I hope I got that last name right. Uh, and it's produced really well. It's written really well. It's presented terrifically. It's great. It's just fascinating. Even if you're not, I'm not as into basketball as I am into baseball or football or hockey, but I found it fascinating. And the next series that they just started is about Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Now, they're two artists and how they their collaboration pushed each other to greatness, apparently. I don't know how yet. I haven't started listening to it, but it looks like it's going to be... I'm, I'm sure if it's as fascinating as the this, this second series with Shaq and Kobe, well then... Yeah, and if it's as fascinating as the first series, which was about John uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney and their collaboration in the Beatles, that's the update. That six-part series about Lennon and McCartney is not available anymore. And I was thinking, what the hell? It was there. Where is it now? Where, what, what's going on here? I was going to suggest it to somebody, uh, specifically the Beatles one, and... Uh, it's gone, and I and I did. It did occur to me. Well, one thing occurred to me. What is it? They, they put up a season, and they take the season down when the next season comes up, and they so that you have to get on, uh, you know, Stitcher Prime or something. You have to start paying money to get this stuff. What? Paying money for entertainment? What? Well, you do, but that's not what it was. The other thing that occurred to me was I wonder if they had problems with like music licensing. And that's exactly what it was. There's, there was an update that came out this week explaining what happened to the Lennon-McCartney series. And Rico, uh, he explains that, yes, indeed, it was a music licensing. They, they, they honored the request to take down the series because of some violation of the license. Uh, and he says, we're working on on getting it back up. So maybe they have to take the music out or they have to do something. It's Or, or they raise some money to pay for the licensing or something I which is which I as I understand it, is terribly expensive very expensive so it's a cool series and that was one of the cool things from you know before and it's still a cool series but man the Beatles that was a great way to start and it was such a good story and it was so interesting and oh you know damn it lawyers <laughs> well you know, there's a reason why we get licenses and things and that. So, anyway, I figured I'd update that. Oh, I'm going to intersperse my cool things this week. Uh, my three cool things. Um, one of them is this Julian Assange fellow, the guy that did the WikiLeaks stuff that uh, got all the hoopla over uh, Hillary Clinton's emails and uh, other stuff. And he'd been he'd been uh, uh, granted asylum in, in Ecuador, and he'd been hiding from the United States because we want to get him. Oh, I got to get that guy. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, while the asylum had been withdrawn, and he's being being extradited to the United States, he's been arrested. And there's uh, pictures of him. And I've been, you know, that's taken stills taken from video of him being removed from the Ecuadorian. Uh, embassy or wherever he was holed up in and he's um, one might say he's let himself go a little uh, he's at the white hair but it's gotten longer 
and his beard. He's got this long, white, wispy beard. And when he's being taken out, he's got these, you know, these police officers or whatever on either side of him, kind of you know, escorting him, him physically, you know, pulling him along. And it looks like he's shouting, uh, Julian Assange. It looks like he's shouting. And one of the still images was grabbed by none other than George Robb of the Geologic Podcast. And I think he built it. I think he created this image. I think he. I think. I think it's him that did it. I don't think he found it somewhere. I think he was inspired and he put it together. So the image, what he put together and posted, which I think is brilliant and super cool and funny, is in the lower uh, left uh, right-hand corner. He put the Monty Python logo. And the image is of Julian Assange with this the long white hair and the wispy long white beard, and he's shouting. And then a word balloon next to him with the word, it's. Monty Python fans will get it. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, the first season of Monty Python's Flying Circus had Michael Palin playing a guy who was in tattered clothes, long white grayish grayish white hair, long wispy grayish white beard, and he would be seen, you know, running along the dunes, coming running closer and closer and closer to the camera, and and they 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 speed it up or whatever, making it look odd, and he'd come running up and he'd have this sound effects of him breathing heavy, and he'd get up to the camera and he'd say, "It's," and then. John Philip Sousa's song "The Liberty Bell" would start playing. That's that was the theme song of the Monty Python's Flying Circus. Was the song called "The Liberty Bell"? Or yeah, I think that's it. That's what would start the shows in that first season. I don't think they did it for the second season, but or the other seasons. And that's that's what George is referencing. I said that I, I commented that's brilliant, and he says the first thing that came to mind, and so I shared it and I gave him credit because since he came up with it, that was that was great. That's a cool thing. That's one cool thing. Um, I do have another cool thing, which I'll tell you right now. Uh, we got we this week we you and I and everybody else in the world with internet access and TV access or whatever got to see a picture of a black hole. Well. Of the accretion thing that that around it and the light bending around it and all it's just it's it's so cool we got to see this we got to live to see this happen how did it happen uh well um scientists have been working on it for a long time for for decades trying to get an image of a black hole to see if they could do it but they need a telescope, and they needed a telescope to be to be able to see this particular uh, black hole, which is in the center of a galaxy called M87. I think that's I think that's, I think that's how it's called. And um, if it to if they were going to use a single telescope to be able to get the radio signals, that that that's what they, that's that's what we're seeing. We're seeing radio wave image stuff, whatever. Which they could assign any color they want to it, and they decided to go with orange, and an orangish color. Uh, it, it's because there's no color in the radio signal. It's just, but whatever. And you would need a telescope to be the size of the Earth, 
Well, we don't have a telescope the size of the Earth, but we do have lots of telescopes on Earth. So they use these telescopes that are from all around the planet, and each one would would look at that part of space, and they they, they and as and and they would collate all that information that all of these telescopes were getting, and then as the Earth turns, other more they get more of an image from the area, so they pull more and more in, more and more data. More and more information comes in, and uh, a young woman named uh, Katie, uh, Katie uh, Bauman, uh, she came up with an algorithm, or at least, you know, yeah, an algorithm that was used to collate this information to create to to find the best image from that information. Uh, I don't have everything quite exactly right. I'm not gonna, you know. I'm not going to go too far on limb, but I will link to uh, videos uh, and and stuff uh, that I found on the internet that gives us information. I'll link that in the show notes. You can go to dimland.com and ch click on the blog option. You'll get to the show notes, and so when you get there, you can see the stuff. And it's it's uh, it's absolutely it's one of the coolest things that has happened in science well since the gravi gravitational waves was found it's a big deal to be able to take a picture of a black hole they're also working on taking a picture of the black hole at the center of our galaxy they're working on that one so we might be seeing that at some point and it's it's just this is this is this is so exciting and great. This is awesome. And and Katie Bauman is I'm declaring her to be a Dimland Radio Science Hero. And her and her team, there's like a couple hundred people been working on this thing. She's not the only one. There was some meme that went around by this Occupy Democrats and Occupy Democrats have never been uh, a, a generator of uh, of uh, information that is uh, um, that, that that gets everything together. They're pretty sloppy in their stuff and they they put out a meme about her single-handedly making it possible to get a picture of the black hole. Well, that's not exactly how it is. She didn't do it single-handedly, but she was involved in the algorithm thing, and she has a huge part of it. And there's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful photograph of her reacting to seeing the first image. She's just absolutely thrilled. It's beautiful, man. It's really cool. So the black hole thing out there, to get an image of it, it's 55 million light years away from us. 55 million light years. People say, why is it fuzzy? Because it's 55 million light years away from us. It's, a, it's relatively, relativity, relatively, relatively, my dentures are slipping. It's tiny as far as what we're looking at. You know, from our perspective, it's it's tiny. And yet again, Einstein is it's more information has backed him up. Well, your general theory of relativity is correct again. And and if Einstein would would be would be beside himself, I'm sure, if he were alive today to see some to see that picture. Ah, oh, cool. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's 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 what it is. It's awesome. Uh, it's so, yeah. So she's a Dimland Radio Science Hero, as are all the people that are involved in it. I usually don't all go with scientists. She's a computer science scientist. Uh, I usually don't go with scientists, but but come on, how could I not? How could they? How could she not be a Dimland Radio Science Hero? 
Uh, that's great, and I'll so I'll, and there's a TED talk where she that was done in night in uh, 2016 where she's talking about how they're trying to get this image of a black hole and what they're doing, and it's a pretty interesting talk that she gives. And then there's another video uh, where some other physicists are talking about you know what they're expecting to see. It's the, the there's a fellow on there that they're talking to uh, 45 minutes before the reveal, and he's talking about what might might see what might might be expected and then they talk to them after they reveal and he gives information about stuff it's really it's it's just cool science is just something else i'll tell you uh, you know didn't take a picture of a black hole by praying it into existence oh and not only is it 55 million light years away that image we're seeing is 55 million years ago that's what we're seeing something from 55 million years ago just a mere 10 years, 10 million years after the dinosaurs all died out, or most of them died out. 55 million years ago, we're looking into the past. When you look up at the stars and all that, you're looking into the past. Because it takes light that so long to get here. And that's that's another thing that's way cool about it. This is just awesome. And uh, what else can I say? Dimland Radio Science Hero. Well, let's see. Okay, let's talk about a Dimland Radio Science Zero. Uh, do I have another cool thing? Hmm, I should have three cool things, shouldn't I? Um, yeah, I'll just make it the it's uh, it's the, the black hole picture. Uh, the uh, the oh, here it is. The cool, the third cool thing. Uh, the 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 Monty Python uh, bit that uh, George Robb came up with with Julian Assange, of course, is a cool thing. The third cool thing is today. The trailer, the teaser trailer for the new Star Wars movie dropped. And oh boy, I think it looks really good. It looks, I mean, it's an awesome trailer. It's very cool. Uh, if you don't want me to spoil the trailer for you, or there are some people out there that don't that try to avoid trailers because they want to go see the movie and be fresh and not have any preconceived notions of what's going on. Uh, you know, you might want to fast forward through this, or if you're listening in the chat room, you might want to mute for a little bit. But we see Ray on a desert planet. Ray's the uh, 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 Daisy Ridley. She's the she's one of the main characters. We see her on a desert planet. She's uh, she's uh, having a, a kind of a standoff against something. She does appear to be even more. Uh, trained with the ways of the Force, and she's pretty badass in her little bit there. Uh, we see Kylo Ren battling some people um, with his uh, with his particular uh, lightsaber with the little cross cross uh, light blades. Uh, we see that. We also see a shot of that that helmet that he wore being repaired. We see a shot of that. I'm not sure why, but we do, and. One uh, pretty exciting moment: Lando Calrissian piloting the the Millennium Falcon. There's a shot of uh, Leia. Uh, she's you know there's some stuff with her in there. And uh, throughout the trailer, we hear snippets of dialogue from Luke Skywalker. Wait a minute, he died in the last movie. Well, maybe he's a Force ghost. I don't know. I'm not going to theorize. But we hear him talking, doing a voiceover on it. And when it comes to the end, 
the screen goes black, and we hear a laugh, a familiar laugh, of somebody that was also supposed to be dead. Oh, it looks really good. It looks cool. I am cautiously excited about it. Can you, can you, you, should you hate a movie by seeing the trailer? No. Should you love a movie by seeing the trailer? No. You can get excited about them. You can feel not so sure about them. But you got to wait till the movie comes out before you can make a decision. you got to see the movie. But, you know, last week I talked about how the angry nerds just hated, already hate the Joker movie that's coming out in October. Well, uh, the angry nerds, or at least one, has, uh, uh, has expressed their anger. I'll talk about that when I come back. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, angry nerds, coming up. Pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Welcome back to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Wasn't that a dramatic bumper? <laughs> just kind of boom, and then I get to talk. You know, it just stops. Pretty pretty dramatic bumper, don't you, th- don't you think? That's uh, the song Is It a Crime by Charday, which is the name of the band. It's also the name of the singer, but it's Charday or Charday uh, Adu is her name, I think. <laughs> and the name of the band is Charday. Uh, you know, it's one of those little things uh so okay the new star wars trailer drops and 
the nerd anger starts. Now it's just one. It's just one. But you know, last week I talked about it. How somebody was so upset with the Joker trailer, angry about it because it didn't cast the person they wanted, and they thought it looked lame. And I, I've heard. I listened to the uh, Comedy Film Nerds podcast, and um, they were a little underwhelmed by the trailer. But I think the trailer looks intriguing. I think it looks like it might be an interesting movie. But it, they didn't pile hate on it the way this, these other people did on the internets. They just said, eh. You know, they'll probably see it, but it, they, they didn't think, they didn't feel very compelled by the trailer. I think it looks intriguing. But the Star Wars trailer that just came out, the teaser trailer, that, I'm telling you, that, that's, that's, that should make anyone, any Star Wars fan excited. And as I talked about last week, I mentioned that it's, you know, I talked about Star Wars and the reaction to Star Wars and the angry fans and how they liked Force Awakens for a little bit and then they got to think about it after seeing it and said, wait a minute, that was just Star Wars and again, I hate it, you know. And then, you know, at least the prequels were different, you know, and they found a way to praise the prequels. So at least they were different. And then Last Jedi comes out and, and that's too different. They hated that. That's too different. <laughs> and they hated that. And now, it's as I was speculating last week, I think now, to be super hip, you have to hate something with the trailer. The earlier you hate you've got to be the first one to hate it. I mean, I hated the new Star Wars movie bef before the first Star Wars movie was made. That's how cool I am. Well, okay. So the trailer drops today. And within minutes, on my Facebook page, uh, there's a Star Wars, StarWars.com, put up a, 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 a trailer on my, on my Facebook page. And the top comment uh, for, from that, for that trailer was some, some person who decided to say this. <clears throat> yep. You can watch the... Watch the oh, geez, let me start again. Yep. You can watch Disney destroy one of the greatest franchises to ever be conceived. I won't. If the last three Star Wars movies told me anything, it's that they are not capable of putting out a story like Lucas can. They're also doing literally the same thing to Marvel. Disney is the, is the Death Star, folks. Watch and see. Now... And I saw that, and I consulted a friend of mine. I copied him this. I said, what do you think of this? <laughs> I said, wasn't I talking about this last week, this nerd anger? And look, I don't want you thinking I'm making, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, denigrating nerds. I am one. You know, and I'm, uh, there's no shame in being a nerd. There's no shame in being a geek, being into something. Being a nerd about something, there's no, there's no, there's no shame in it. This, but the angry nerds, it's, it's that percentage of the nerds, the angry ones, that I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get the anger. And this speaks of anger. I, he doesn't like Disney, apparently, and he, he you know, and he, he, he thinks that George Lucas can really tell a story. Well. This friend of mine suggested that uh, 
you know, because I, I hadn't commented back, and he's wondering if I was going to. He suggested that I uh, mention the Ewoks. Uh, because, as you know, as he was saying to me, he says, you know, it's it's good to remind these folks that are so upset about the the newest movies that the original films, although great and entertaining, and a, a terrific fun story, they weren't, you know, they weren't Citizen Kane's, <laughs> they weren't Maltese Falcons, uh, they you know they they were they weren't Bridge over the River Kwai. Uh, you know, Arbor John the River Kwai. Whatever they weren't, they weren't. You know, they they were they were good. They were great. They were fun, but they weren't. You know, they weren't masterful works of art. You know, they they the they didn't have great scripts, and they weren't perfect. Which to get a perfect movie is not easy. And Lucas had his goofball stuff in movies. He had his he had things like that. He so my friend was suggesting that I find a way to make that comment and I did I uh, I responded I replied to this fellow's comment by saying exactly give us the Lucas brilliance of the Ewoks four minutes of screen time for Boba Fett half a movie's worth of the awesome Jar Jar Binks along with such great plot devices as a brother having the hots for his sister and trade negotiations oh the trade negotiations Disney couldn't do any of that because that was all Lucas you know Jar Jar Binks that was Lucas Boba Fett. Everybody was excited about Boba Fett. And what did we get? <laughs> he's he's in Return of the Jedi. He shoots his gun a couple of times and he gets he gets a, a, a blind Han Solo accidentally hits the rocket pack and that sends him into the Sarnak or whatever that thing's called pit. That's all he got. He got like a, one scene and a line or two in the in the in the in Empire Strikes Back. He takes he takes Han away in his little ship, and he did. He had nothing. He had he had nothing. And we were all what what's Boba Fett? Boba Fett? You know, because we were tantalized by him in Empire Strikes Back. But what what did we get of him in Return of the Jedi? We got nothing. It's like that's the brilliance. Of George Lucas. I mean, I'm not saying George Lucas doesn't have brilliance. I mean, he did create this universe thing and all that. But, come on. <laughs> come on. And, he, and you know he was making this stuff up as he was going along. I mean, it's, it's just... there was When he was making Empire Strikes Back, he, he didn't... I, I don't think he had... Well, maybe he did. Certainly when he was making Star Wars, he had no idea that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. But it, it, I, I wonder, I wonder though, because when, when he was making Empire Strikes Back, there was, uh, when Luke was leaving his training with Yoda, uh, Ghost, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi says, uh, or, or Ben Kenobi says, uh, that boy is our last hope, and then Yoda says, no, there's another. Well, by, the, by Return of the Jedi, we know that he's referring to Leia, but is that who Lucas meant in Empire Strikes Back? Because in Empire Strikes Back, there's the kiss to make Han jealous. That she kisses Luke to make Han... Uh, come on. 
That's a brilliant story making there. Uh, you know, a brother with the hots for his sister. What is that, Chinatown? Uh, it's not quite the same thing. All right, speaking of movies, how much time have I got? Let's see if I can cram this in here. Uh, we're going to do a little uh, Halloween in April. Look, you can have Christmas in July. Why can't you have Halloween in April? I want to talk about the, uh, the original Dracula film, 1931, uh, universal film, that pretty much started that whole universal monster, you know, movie monster thing that went through the 30s and 40s. Um, you know, that led to Frankenstein, which led to, you know, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, which led to, you know, the, you know and then there's the Wolfman and Creature of the Black Lagoon, Invisible Man, and all these movies um, that Universal movie, uh, Universal Studios just started, you know, cranking out. Uh, you know, the studios have sort of, it, it's, it's not a hard, fast rule, but... You know, Warner Brothers was known for making gangster movies, and uh, MGM was known for making you know epics and and musicals and and uh, um, and Warner Brothers or not Warner Brothers uh, Universal Studios became known for making monster movies. Now they of course would make d different genre movies, all these studios, but that's sort of how it that's how it shook out. And so in 19, 1931, I'll give you a little history. Um, Universal wants to make the movie Dracula, and uh, they they they're looking for their their Dracula. Like, who's going to play Dracula? Well, you know, obviously, I mean, Dracula was a hit on Broadway. It was a it was a play. It was a hit on Broadway, and the fellow who played Dracula on Broadway was Bela Lugosi, and he was receiving good reviews. He was a hit. Uh, you know, there was a push to have him in the movie, but Universal Studios, Hollywood being Hollywood, it's still the same way now. They wanted a bankable star for the for the movie, and the bankable star was Lon Chaney. He had done Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and you know those were Universal movies, and they were the early you know silence with the horror film uh, genre. But uh, so they wanted him, but he died before production could begin, and Bella then, he got the role, and it made him a star. And, you know, and it started this whole thing uh, of, of horror films and that. It, it's just, you know, within, within the year, Frankenstein was produced and released, within the same year, 1931. They wanted the role, they, so once Lugosi became a huge star, I mean, wow, okay, so will you play the monster in Frankenstein? And Lugosi said no. <laughs> he didn't want to be covered in makeup or something. He was, there was something about the role that he didn't care for. So they, all right, so James Whale, the director of, of, uh, of uh, Frankenstein, found Boris Karloff and, and cast him, and he became a star. Now, the movie Dracula is... It's okay. It's great in its in its influence and in its impact, but you know the first half of that movie, or maybe not quite half of that movie, is, is great. It's a great, good setup. You know, Renfield is played by Dwight Fry. Goes to Transylvania. He's going to meet with uh, Count Dracula. He's who Dracula is buying some abbey over in in, in England somewhere. 
uh, and and so you know, uh, Renfield is the real estate agent, and the villagers are saying, "No, you don't want to go to Castle Dracula." Oh no, you go. No, I am. I'm not afraid. I, I'm not superstitious. Take me up there. It's it. You know, there's the reaction of the village people, uh, not the not the band, but the people of the village, um, you know, to him doing that. Uh, Dwight Fry is really good as Renfield, and when he gets to the pass that he's supposed to meet the carriage to take him to uh, to Castle Dracula, uh, the the carriage that brings him from the village up to there, they just drop his bags on the ground and take off. <laughs> Renfield runs off. And, well, well, you guys, okay, oh, and, and it, it's just, it's very creepily done. And they get to the castle, the door opens on its own, they walk in there. It's just, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of broken down castle with spider webs all over the place. And Dracula shows up as Lugosi, you know, Lugosi played him. And the Children of the Night, what music they make when you hear the wolf sounds. Uh, bringing Renfield into that nice cozy room. Renfield cuts his finger on a paperclip. And uh, uh, and Dracula sees that blood. And just, just the reaction of Lugosi to that was great. Uh, it's so, it, it, you know, he leaves Renfield alone. And the three... Women vampires come in after him, but look, uh, but the Dracula stops them, and then he goes in and gets Renfield's blood. Renfield loses his mind, and Dwight Fry is great in being insane. Uh, there's the terrific scene where they they're on the ship that's taking them to England, and the storm's going. You see the sailors fighting with everything, and 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 uh, Dracula comes out of the you know you know. He, you just see him standing. He opens the door and he's standing there and he's looking out at the crew. And then next thing you know, uh, you know he's he's destroyed the crew except for one guy ties himself to the steering wheel. And they get into the harbor, and they discover that all the crew's gone except for the one guy, and he's dead. And in the hold is this crazy Renfield, and it's the most creepy scene in there. And from there, the movie gets a little meh. <laughs> It's a great setup to that point. And then it gets a little meh. It gets a little stagey. A lot of people standing around talking to each other. There's a moment or two that are great. Nice close-ups of Lugosi's face where he you know, looks, you know, livid. You know, he has that, you know, the Dracula look. And, you know, it's... It just it doesn't quite you know the action sequence at the end, if you can call it an action sequence, isn't great. So it just kind of peters out. Uh, but it's still... You know, it has some wonderful moments. Uh, Helen Chandler plays Mina, the the love interest in the movie. Uh, she's okay through most of it, but she has a moment in there where she's under the influence of Dracula, and there's a look in her eyes that she's looking at her fiancé, Jonathan Harker, as played by uh, David Manners, and she's just, it's really something. It's very creepy. Uh, Edward Van Sloan, who I found out is from Minnesota, he plays Dr. Van Helsing. Uh, he's pretty good. Uh, and you know he's, he has a standoff with with uh, Dracula that's that's not bad, but it's just again it's it's very stagey, very yeah. But it's it's that first part that works really well. Um, there was a Spanish version made at the same time in 1931. Whole different cast, Spanish language, same sets, same everything. The the English language version people, the Lugosi version, they would film during the day, and the Spanish version, they'd film at night. And they would look at the stuff that was done during the day, and they'd say, we could do better. 
and you do they do technically there's a lot there's better stuff going on in there there's better editing happening there's more camera movement it's a little less stagey uh there's nice close-ups of the eyes of dracula uh that they use in there um there's you know it's just it's it's a better looking version because of the use of camera and how they're uh, working it that way but it lacks in the cast they're not bad uh, the fellow that plays Dracula, his name is Carlos, uh, let's see, Villarias. Um, he's, he's not bad, and sometimes he looks rather like Lugosi, but there's just um, something missing. Something in his eyes is not the same as what Lugosi was able to do. Um, there's Pablo Alvarez Rubio. He plays Renfield. He's actually pretty good, but his if you thought... If you think Dwight Fry's Renfield is over the top, <laughs> watch this guy. Woo, this guy is over the top. Uh, Renfield has this kind of maniacal laugh, that kind of <laughs> kind of laugh. Um, uh, th this this fellow in the Spanish version, his is uh, it's just this shrill cackle, crazed cackle, and he but he really just he eats the scenery. But when he's when he's sane. He's also pretty good there too, so it's it's a nice, you know, stark dichotomy there. Um, Lupita Tovar, Tovar, Tover, hmm. plays Eva, who's Mina. She's okay. She's a little more. <coughs> excuse me. She's a little more um, passionate. I would this, I'd say, and and she and and she's allowed to show more cleavage, for some reason. And the guy who plays. Uh, Van Helsing, Eduardo uh, Rosamena. Rosamena. Um, he's he's okay. So it's the casting doesn't quite. It's not quite the same, and it's and they don't. And Lugosi just he's just better. He, Lugosi is just better. But you should check them both out if you can. If you haven't seen Dracula in a long time, it's like I said. It starts out. It's got a great start. And it kind of peters out. But uh, Lugosi is still great throughout the whole thing. And the Spanish version, interesting and not bad. Uh, it's just, it's just not, uh, it just doesn't have Lugosi and it needs Lugosi. So happy Halloween. Good night, Adolfo. <laughs> Good night, Frau Blucher. Woof, made it to the end of another show. Uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm reminding you to sleep with the lights off, but I'm also reminding you to be skeptical and extraordinary claims and all that. But again, sleep with the lights off, and we'll talk to you next week. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission.
This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, I'm going to hell. hell.